Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. My name is John Manuel. I'm joined by J.J. Cooper. We're talking NLS Top 10 Prospects. We're talking a little Alex Rodriguez today. Thank you so much for the download. Let's just dive right in, J.J., and talk a little pod, uh, prospects here on the podcast. And we'll remind everyone we'll have a couple of email questions at podcast at baseballamerica.com. We'll read those in the show. also want to remind everybody we're wrapping up our Top 10s online. We're already done. But if you want to get the best prospect coverage, you can subscribe to Baseball America. And also, we would encourage you to order the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, 800-845-2726-JJ. Or BaseballAmerica.com. BaseballAmerica.com, great place to order it. And and if you order directly from us, JJ, what do you get? You get, you know, we've always done 900 scouting reports. Well, if you order from us, you get 930 because we give you a 31st prospect. You know, we do 30 in the book. We give you a supplement that's an extra prospect for every team. So you get 31 prospects for every team. So We made everyone's top 30 one louder. Right. As If you're a Spinal Tap fan, we went to 11 this year. Exactly. We went to, we, we went to, 31. Th- we went to 31 on every organization. So 930 scouting reports is almost too much goodness. But I think that in the National League West, uh, JJ, there's some organizations where just getting to 30 was, was rough. You didn't want to get to 30, and then you had to go to 31. I was like, oh, what are we going to do for this organization for 31, for this club? Uh, but for the, for, for the Giants, I think, I don't think we had a hard time coming up with number 31 for the Giants. And I, I, although I don't think depth is their biggest strength. But I do think we both like the Giants' farm system as the best in this division. It's really crazy to say that they're not an organization known in the last 20 years, anyway, for being homegrown. They're, they're an organization, if you remember, a couple of years ago where they were intentionally would sign players before arbitration oh, yeah. Michael Tucker. began so that they could give up their first-round pick. Absolutely, and of all drafts for them to do that, it was the 2005 draft, not which is the best draft in the last five years, and they did not have a pick until the fourth round. So, And then Ben Copeland was their top draft from that year, and they just lost him in the Rule 5 draft this offseason. But nowadays the Giants have kind of turned things around they not only I mean they always have pitching prospects. Right. You can pretty much count on if they didn't if they you know basically gave up their one th- you know rounds one through fifty. They'd still they'd run. Fill, yeah. They'd figure out a way to have pitching. prospects. They'd find some nice non-drafted free agents and so especially they'd find position players like John Langus and put them on the mound and they get to the big leagues or Jonathan Sanchez in the twenty seventh round out of an NAIA so school. They would figure out pitching prospects, but what's different about their list right now is is they actually have hitters now. And yeah. They've you know Buster Posey is. The second best catching prospect, I think, you know, in in the minors right now. Probably. If he's not second, he's third. I mean, you could, you could argue Santana if you wanted yeah. to, but yeah, he's right up there with with Matt Weeders, no doubt. I mean, he's you know, well, Weeders would probably be you know at the part you know he'd be you know that he's at the he's top the of Acropolis. Mount Everest. Yeah, no, absolutely, he's in the Acropolis of the city. Everybody else is on a is on the way on the slope down. But uh, and then Angel Villalona, who is you know one of the better young uh, power prospects in the game. Absolutely, a guy who's seventeen years old. Goes to the South Atlantic League and slugs 435 and finishes with the flourish that he did. Uh, very encouraging. And the Giants, you know, it's amazing. 
I think people of a different generation, JJ, and I was just reading some Bill James about this in, the, in his 1960s and his, his historical abstract. In the 60s, the Giants were just coming up with position player after position player. And I think they came up with Cepeda, McCovey. They had too many at one point. Yeah, they had too many first basemen. That was exactly it. Cepeda, McCovey, you know. And there's a third one I'm leaving out. It might have been Bill White. I'm not sure my 60s baseball knowledge is leaving me. But they had too many. They had too many hitters. They came up with all the Alus, I think, at one time. I mean, they just had too many outfielders, too many hitters. And, of course, in the middle they had Willie Mays. Uh, you know, they had they, they signed Monty Irvin out of the Negro Leagues in the 50s. I mean, they, they had – Hitters out the yin yang, um, but the thing is, you think about it, they have not won a World Series since 1954. I mean, this is one of the longest droughts in baseball. Only guys I can think of that are longer is the Indians and, of course, the Cubs, um, among established teams. But that's a pretty long drought. I mean, obviously, the, the Angels have never won, had never won one until 2002. Maybe but the they, Giants, but they've they, won one in 2002. They, 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 talked, they talked about all their bad luck. I mean, the Giants. That showed up. The Angels had this pitiful history uh, beating the Giants. I mean, the Giants have not won since they moved to the state of California. Think about that. The San Francisco Giants have never won a World Series. I'm not sure if this group is what will lead them to the promised land. I do think that when you have some of these young hitters and if they can cost control Lincecum and Kane and keep both those guys – there's potential to do something special with that kind of power arms and, and this kind of power bat. And I had this thought. I was seeing this weekend, you know, on MLB Network. You know, had while well, they were the doing their, their 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 you know their you know they had the crawl going on as they're doing their wall to wall A Rod coverage, which we'll get to later. But, sure. But and it may you know the the Giants have you know made an offer to Joe Creedy. And the thing that hit me was last year the Giants went through a lot of pain. Because they basically said, "Okay, we're going to rip the scab off the Barry Bonds era and, right. and move on." You know, the Band-Aid off. I should, you know, is what I meant to say. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 feel, I followed you. You know, but and so I mean, they put guys in the big leagues who most of them had no. They had a lot of guys in the who had no business being in the big right, leagues. Right, right. But they Brian also, Bacock. but they also found some guys who were, you know, okay. Hey, this guy, you know, survived that. Right. Hey, know. John Bowker has some utility. Pablo Sandoval's made it up very quickly, and man, he hit just as well in the big leagues as he did in high A. Yep. You know that that kind of thing. Well, you combine that with a farm system that's you know developing better talent now, especially hitters, than it was for years, and you throw into it that really the economics of the game this year are setting up nicely for them. In that, whereas last year they said, okay, well we can't afford to go out and get you know a shortstop, we can't afford right. you know to get you know to get a guy a bat for the middle of the order. If they want to right now, they can kind of go out there and go, hey, you know. Prices are coming down. We can get a Joe Creedy hopefully cheap. You know, Absolutely. We can, you know, we can get solid big leaguers. That we don't have to lock in for five years or anything. And, look, we know that Edgar Renteria is not the player he used to be. We know that Joe Creedy is not the player he used to be. But if you're the Giants, you'd feel a lot better going into the season with Renteria and Creedy than you did last year with Jose Castillo, Pirates cast off at third base, or Rich Aurelia passes prime at third base, and Brian Bacock and Emmanuel Burris at shortstop, where Manny Burris needs to play second base, and Brian Bacock was jumping from high A to the big leagues, and his bat was never his best tool anyway. So they're in a much better situation, and we all know that Brian Sabian likes his proven veterans as well. I think it's admirable for Brian Sabian to take a guy like a Dick Tidrow who had so much success there in a long run running their scouting and player, ve- player development, had so much success developing pitchers, but 
promote him, vice president of player personnel, so he's doing a lot more big league stuff, and to bring in a guy who's universally respected in the industry in John Barr to run their scouting department, of, to bring in a minor league veteran like Fred Chicken Stanley to run their farm department. Um, I, I think it's a, they've made good moves. They're still, they still have their identity as an organization, but they're rebuilding at the minor league level. Uh, you know, the one thing that you really look at and say, boy, if they hadn't signed Barry Zito – Two years ago, how much? What would they have done with that money? They probably uh, bring CC Sabathia home uh, for about the same money. Or, or you know, there have been talks about Manny, Manny Ramirez. Ramirez. Absolutely. Um, so they they they've they've developed some guys. A Fred Lewis who's come to the big leagues and showed that he could do it last year. I think things are. They've lost ninety games last year, but I think they're on the upswing in San Francisco. Right. There's a reason if you're a Giants fan to go, okay, we're headed back in the right direction. Right now you've got. Uh, the, the Rockies, to me, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are the two most fascinating organizations in that which is the real team? The ones that used young players to catapult themselves to the playoffs in 2007 with Arizona winning the division, Colorado going on that amazing finishing kick, winning the wild card, the pennant, and then losing in the World Series to the Red Sox. Or the 2008 versions of those two teams where they both really both fell back. And I think you have to have some significant questions about those young players like Franklin Morales or a Chris Young or a Mark Reynolds or some of the guys who really jumped up in 07. Uh, which of those teams do you think is better positioned, both either short-term or let's, I guess, focus on the top 10 long-term, J.J.? Which of those two teams do you think is in better shape uh, minor league system-wise? Minor league system-wise, I'd say the Rockies. I think so, too. You know, I, I'd still, if you said... Big league-wise, you know, throw it all together. Right. I kind of think that the Diamondbacks still are more likely, you know, kind of positioned to, I mean, to kind of contend over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, agree. I think the Rockies, you know, the Matt Holiday trade is in some ways kind of a, an acknowledgement of, okay, we're our, we're, we don't think that we are yeah. right there at the edge. And Jeff Francis, I mean, he was their ace in 2007. He's having shoulder surgery, it looks like now. Um, and the Diamondbacks have got Heron and they've got Webb. And to me, Webb is such a stud, and Heron's the perfect number two starter. That's that's a big edge, and plus they have Justin Upton. I, I you know, so I agree with you. At the big league level, I think Arizona is a little bit better position on the farm. I think we're both agreeing Colorado's in better right. shape. And, and and really, part of that comes down to you know, top three for the Rockies: Dexter Fowler, Jahulis Jasheen, and Christian Frederick. Yep, yep. That's a that's a three that I would you know you compare that to the Diamondbacks. You know, since we're you know Jared yeah. Parker. Gerardo Parra, Parra and uh, Daniel Schlereth. And then you go to four, Mark Hallberg. Hey, I like Mark, Mark Hallberg. You know, Illinois, Chicago, and Florida State represent. But, wow, Mark Hallberg, four? That's I mean, I think best-case scenario, he's probably a solid second baseman on a championship team. More likely, he's a utility guy on a championship team, and that's your number four guy. And Whereas, you know, you're talking about uh, Rosario, and a toolsy catcher. Hector Gomez has all kinds of tools. And my sleeper, I guess, in the Rocky system is really the number seven prospect, Esmil Rogers. I've heard some great reports on him, on him out of the California League. I'm pretty sure he's a conversion guy, but a guy who's athletic. Yeah. He's got some real arm strength. He's starting to learn some pitchability. Uh, he's a guy I think who could really come quick next year. The, the get, if you're comparing these two, again, kind of one of the ways to put it is, is okay, Casey Weathers, six, Esmil Rogers, seven. Those are two guys who, I mean, now Weathers had some injury issues. Right, but yeah, Tommy John at the end of the year. But – those two guys, long term, compare them to number three, Daniel Schlereth. Yeah, you know, Casey Weathers, Daniel Schlereth are both similar. You know, I mean, you know, Schlereth was a son as a fourth year junior. He's had arm problems himself. I mean, uh, I mean he's no, he's he's a, he is very similar to Casey Weathers in terms of the profile, no doubt. So 
that, that's where I think that the, the Rockies stand out. You know, I know you're a big Dexter Fowler fan. I do. I'm like a big Chasim fan. I mean, he was a guy. If you want to talk about guys who probably did more to yeah. emerge on the scene last year, I he's mean, one it's of hard the to top think. guys, yeah. no doubt. No, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, and you know, uh, Tracy Regalsby, who wrote up our uh, Rockies top 30, uh, I edited it, and when he first sent it in, I remember thinking the guy, even his guys that were in this 15 to 20 range. There was upside in that system, uh, and I, I thought that the last couple of drafts, both these teams draft college-heavy. There's no doubt about that. Bill Schmidt and the Rockies draft a lot more college-heavy than you'd think, but I think that the better Latin American program in Colorado is what gives them a leg up on uh, what they're doing in Arizona. And then you have the Dodgers, J.J., who have right. been the best farm system in this division for several years. Uh, they're a little down right now, but I guess there's a good reason for their system being down. Well, they last year they promoted a lot of guys again. I mean yep. they've really they've promoted a number of guys in the last couple of years. Absolutely. And then onto that, then they also made you know trades last year that really I mean if you they do have Ned Coletti in charge. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know if you didn't make some of those trades, I mean if you didn't decided that maybe we don't need Casey Blake, right? You know, maybe we could you know maybe we can win this division without Casey Blake, right? Okay, we'll give you back Carlos Santana. Well, there's your number one. Prospect. That's your number one prospect. Absolutely. So. It's funny, like you talk about that Pirates trade. Pirates. You know, they they traded, you know, away a number of guys. But sure. you really look at that and you go, but okay, they got, Brian they Morris. They got Ramirez they, back. They got, you know. <laughs> that was that three-team deal with yeah, Boston three te- and Yeah, Pittsburgh. I mean, the, and the, you trade away LaRoche and Morris. That almost looks a little less painful right now than trading away Santana for Casey Blake. It does. And not only so you gave up, they really gave up more for a couple months of Casey Blake. And now they've gone out in the offseason and re-signed for a call, re-signed Blake kind of keeping the band together in a way, but it really won't matter if they don't bring back Manny Ramirez. I do think it's amazing that the Dodgers, their core is the homegrown core, with the exception of a great trade they made with Oakland for Andre Ethier. Uh, but Loney, Russell Martin, until they beat Russell Martin to the ground, <laughs> catching him 145 games I'm a not year. Dead yet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Chad Billingsley, if he can come back from his offseason bone break, and they don't they don't keep Takashi Saito, so now Jonathan Broxson should ascend to that closer role. Let's say they're going to go homegrown again there with Corey Wade, maybe Ramon Troncoso in that middle relief, but also James McDonald, who I think we'd seen as a pitchability guy with uh, good secondary stuff. Then he comes out of the bullpen in the postseason. He's blowing mid-90s, and now the Dodgers look like they're, they're grooming him to be their top setup man. And again, this is one of those arguments of why people always, you know, we get a lot of questions in chats when we do them. It's like, well, why don't you have this yeah. brand X reliever rated higher? Right, right. And James McDonald is the example of why not, because if you've got, I mean, James McDonald as a starter is a middle-of-the-rotation Guy, as you put it, pitchability guy who knows how to pitch. Absolutely, he's athletic. There, there could be more upside of that fastball, right? But but out the you know the starter, you know, you're talking the fastball. It's average. It's, yeah, you know, it's just not his best pitch as a fastball, right? I mean, as a starter, you put him in the pen, yeah, and all of a sudden, different the, animal. The fastball goes up a tick, and all of a sudden, you're like, hey, you compare that guy to you know relievers who are pitching in the minors. Right. This I'm not comparing pretty well. I'm not comparing him to Phil Coke necessarily, but with the, the Yankees top thirty, I had a similar guy in Phil Coke who's older, but was a solid starter. Guys liked him in the Eastern League this year. Yeah, he was older, but you know sometimes left-handers take a little bit longer to figure it out. He was a junior college guy who, who started to figure things out. You put him in the bullpen, he's blowing 96, 97 from the left side. Now you got a difference maker, and that's what James McDonald is. And that's the thing. James McDonald's two, and he could have been one if you believe in Ivan and DeJesus as a shortstop. He could have been one, but I don't think the Dodgers do believe in Devon DeJesus at shortstop or else they wouldn't re-sign Rafael for a call for as much as they gave him. The thing that jumps up about, uh, about this Dodgers list, the thing that will make this or break it over the long term is, is okay, Ethan Martin, number three. Right. Who really, I mean, 
if you're talking about, we were just talking about, you know, pitchers who emerged, Chassin emerged in the minors. Martin's the guy who emerged in, in the, the draft. draft class, no doubt. I mean, he going did on into the one year. night on with our Matt Blood was there in March when uh, he pitched great against American Heritage. He was a third baseman coming into that game, a third baseman slash pitcher. He came out of that game as a pitcher slash third baseman. And so you've got him, and then also number five, Scott Elbert, who pre-injury would have been number one on this list. He was number one in the Saturday League one year, and everything you hear about him is the delivery is violent, but the stuff is starter caliber stuff. If he comes back healthy, he's going to be, I think, as effective as a reliever as James McDonald, if not more, because he's a power guy from the left side. Those two guys, if they turn out to be what the Dodgers think they will be, you know, or what they hope he, they will be, yeah. then that list could end up being you know, number two out of this group. Yeah, but yeah. It's too far away to say that right now. I mean, it's There's like a, their top six is very interesting for me because I like Josh Lindblom uh, quite a bit. He's got a big time arm. Um, I like Ethan Martin. I like McDonald and Albert, but uh, you know, and Andrew Lambeau, uh, who probably would be our five hole hitter on our Greek uh, World Baseball Classic team after Mustakis and Markakis. Well, Markakis and Mustakis, but you know, Lambeau's uh, it's short for I forget what it's short for, but. He, he he counts. He uh, World Baseball Classic rules are pretty pretty flimsy. If the Hairston brothers can play for Mexico, I think Andrew Lambeau can play for Greece. But of course, there is no Greek World Baseball Classic team. That's the only way I Much think I could really. Much to the chagrin of John Manuel. I wish they'd let me uh, try to organize one. I, I I would have pitched some of these players on it. Lambeau could have pitched for us too. He was a fine thumbing lefty in high school. If the Dodgers yeah, let the Dodgers, us. yeah, the Dodgers. Oh, go ahead. Hey, the best, home. the three best pitchers would have been. Mustakis, Markakis, and Lambeau. Uh, that's the problem with the yeah, Greek team. I I, after George Contos, we've got to give George Short his uh, his props, too. And I don't think there's any debate if we're saying, okay, so w- who's bringing up the rear yeah. in, the, uh, in the NL West this year? San Diego. Drink it in. I think San Diego is clearly the, the Padres. Uh, it, it, and this is appropriate to talk about this week, uh, J.J., also, in the week in which they uh, designate uh, Matt, Matt Bush, Bush for assignment, the number one overall prospect uh, pick in the 2004 draft. And this is a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, that 04 draft was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. But they got about the, really, if you look at the whole first round, he's in the bottom three of worst picks in the entire first round, not to mention being the worst number one pick bottom overall three? ever. Who would, who would be it was Matt Campbell and Kyle Waldrop are the only other two guys who haven't had any, who really haven't given their club any value. Can I looked at it. To me, if a guy at least even got the double A, he became something of a tradable commodity for his club. And those three guys never even got the jump to double A. They've all had injury issues. Waldrop still might. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. Matt Campbell's done. He was released by the, by the uh, Royals. But those guys were picked, if I remember correctly, 25th and 29th overall and did not get $3.15 million. Maybe if you put their bonuses together, they got $3.15 million. But talk about misallocation of resources. That's the Matt Bush pick, and that's – and the Padres, frankly, have not drafted well at the top of the draft for Here's, years. I mean, to give oh, it's you, a brutal list. To give you the idea, Khalil Green, two thousand two. Okay, so that one—that's the best career. That's the best. Okay, nineteen ninety nine, Vince Faison, two thousand, Mark Phillips, two thousand one, Jake Gotro, who's back in the affiliated minors uh, after a year in Indy Ball. That's right. Khalil Green, two thousand two, Tim Stauffer, two thousand three, Matt my Bush, two thousand four, Cesar Carrillo, two thousand five, Matt, Ant- Matt Antonelli, two thousand six, Nick Schmidt, two thousand seven, and Alan Dykstra, two thousand eight. I believe you both out a word there in, in Matt, describing Matt Bush. He's I'm Matt bleeping Bush. Yes, that, Matt expletive Bush and expletive whatever high school. What a pitiful story that was. But 
one of the things that jumps out about this is, man, the number of guys who got hurt out of this group. Oh, yeah. And it's all, all the pitchers have gotten hurt. I mean, you, you uh, got Tommy Matt John, Bush in there. Matt Bush had a team. Tommy John for Bush. Tommy John for Schmidt. Tommy John for Carrillo. And then 2003, Tim Stauffer threw his shoulder out of Sunken Diamond the weekend before he was drafted and signed for $750,000. So, and and you got to go then Alan Dykstra, who comes in with a, va- of, uh, what is it, a vascular necrosis, uh, basically Bo Jackson disease, if you wanted to call it something. If you were going to name after somebody, you'd name it after Bo Jackson, a degenerative hip condition. And, uh, you know, that wasn't disclosed prior to the draft. But if any team should have known it, it would be the Padres, seeing as how he injured it playing high school basketball in San Diego. I mean, you know, And I'll give them that they maybe, you know, no one else knew about it either. They but, should have known about it. But – the other They're, thing that our beat writer for them, John Maffey, knew it. So okay, that is a yeah. That's a <laughs> that tells you all you need to know. John knew it. They didn't know it. But the thing that really jumped out also that it seems like the Padres are still recovering from is is they had a couple of years there where they really emphasized pitchability. Correct. That's that is Grady Fuson's mo. Uh, he likes guys who hit the mitt. He likes good changeups. If you remember the guy that he really staked his reputation on when he got when he left Oakland and went to Texas, it was Mario Ramos, <laughs> uh, a guy with a below-average fastball but good command and a changeup. Well, when he got to the big leagues, he got knocked around a little bit. He got timid. All of a sudden, you don't really have good command when you don't want to when you're afraid to throw strikes. So um, that is their mo, and that's how you get Wade LaBlanc. That's how you get Josh Gear, and that's what they have. They don't really have power arms outside of Matt Latos. One thing I will say for the Padres, I, and I criticize their draft and re, their draft track record. I actually like their 2008 draft, and that's including Dykstra, who I think was an overdraft where they got him, but he does have legitimate power. He can hit. He does control the strike zone. I'm not sure he's valued, but I like Jeff Decker. I like him a lot. I like James Darnell where they got him. That's an athletic, either third baseman or maybe future right fielder, guy with real power. Uh, I like their draft in 2008. But they, at the top of the draft, they have spent a lot of money and not gotten a lot of return consistently this entire decade. The other thing I'll say for this Padres list is is that, you know, if you want to, okay, for 20 seconds here, Padres fans, put on your rose-colored glasses here. Yeah, that's what I just did. I do gonna, like Jeff I'll go with there, too. I mean, Ben Antonelli, as bad as he was last year, you know, okay, maybe that was just a year that everything fell apart. Yeah, it sounds like he got too big, bulked up too much, lost bat speed, lost quickness. So maybe you know, he can get it back. Maybe he can get it back. Okay, Cedric Hunter, Will Venable, they're not going to be impact guys. But, you know, in a. I've talked to guys who like Will Venable as a solid average regular. Right. So there are, this is not a list. I mean, we were talking about the Astros recently. I look at these two lists. Yeah. This is not the Astros list. Astros are worlds behind these guys. This I, is I not don't an disagree. Astros list. Like, Jeff Decker is number three on this list. He's at least number two in the Astros list. I like him better than Bud Norris. I'm with you. You know, Jeff Decker could be, I mean, the guy can hit. What's yeah. the most important tool that you can have as a position player? He can hit. And, he you know, hit. he can throw. He was 93 miles an hour right. off, the, off the mound, according to his personal pitching coach, Steve Ontiveros. I believe is the eraking.com, I believe is the Steve's uh, website. But also uh, Randy Smith, their international scouting director, and the Padres very aggressive internationally the last couple of years. Guys like Adis Portillo and uh, uh, Luis Domoromo. I have to throw that name in because I really like his name. There are others whose names I'm not recalling, but they have been very aggressive 
on the Latin American front. I think that will. I do think they've they've bottomed out. I think at twenty nine, they had they're a good the, OA the, draft and and a good signing period internationally. They brought a lot of talent in in two thousand eight. We got to see it perform a little bit, but I think they're on the way up. Uh, I think they're gonna, this will be as low as you see them go. So, so before we go to the mailbag, let's. Let's get the the A Rod portion okay. of the uh, okay. The, I was uh, a, I was a, I was in a mailbag to transition to A Rod, but okay, let's, go ahead. let's let's do that because it's, it's one last prospect We're question. Flying without a net as usual. So That's right. I mean, uh, Pre planning is you know for it's other a, people. But it's a question for you um, from Clint Scholes, who is a uh, Royals fan, loves the possibility the podcast on the top thirty from BA. Two quick prospects in the, the in the Royals organization that didn't make the list. Uh, first, Jeff Bianchi, could he still develop? Uh, What could explain his ridiculous home road splits? And then John Flanagan, what are your thoughts on this lefty? I forgot to ask you in the pre-show about John Flanagan. Uh, But let's uh, let's let's focus first on Jeff Bianchi. Let's start with Bianchi. With Bianchi, what it really came down to was, you know, they had a, a group of middle infielders that, have really just not developed that well. I mean, they're, the Kyle Mertens yeah, and the you know, Jeff Bianchi's. You know, that are kind of, you know, if you look at it right now, you you still, you it's know. Kurt Mertens, I believe. Kurt Mertens, yeah, not Kurt, Kurt Mertens. You know, you were thinking Kyle Martin, who. Has <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, but if you're looking at it, what it came down to is, is okay, so when you're going to rank guys, you know, Bianchi was in that group, you know, to be considered for the top 30. But when it came down to it, it's like, okay, do you go with, a guy like Bianchi, who really has, you know, he's a second baseman, and his bat has not developed to what it needs to be for a second baseman. That's really, the biggest problem. He's already moved down the defensive spectrum from shortstop right. to second base. That's a big issue. Has to stay healthy. And you've got a choice of either, you know, ranking guys like that, or do you rank a guy like, you know, I mean, just to throw out a guy like Jose Bonilla, who's a catching prospect for them, who has not played full season ball yet. Okay, so, you know, he's a, he's a long ways away. But, you know, but at the same time, He's got, he's got more upside, you know, right. than Bianchi. I mean, and with Bianchi at this point, what's the upside? You know, well, it's, you know, I mean, it's that he could maybe be, you know, probably a utility infielder. Right, and it's hard He's a to... utility infielder who doesn't play shortstop well enough to really want you want to play him. Now, if I had to re-rank it now, post Jason Taylor drug suspension, <laughs> right. He probably would, you know. There's a very good chance he would be in the top 30 because, I mean, or the top 31 actually right, would be accurate. Right. But because that's what happened is, is that you know, basically, I mean, Jason Taylor went from being a prospect who kind of regained, you know, regained some prospect status to yeah. same as it ever was for Jason Taylor, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, and, and we should address. I mean, uh, Wilmington's ballpark is historically uh, one of the one of, if not the toughest park to hit in. In the Carolina League, it's cold, uh, it's windy, but mostly it's cold early and it's cold late. And uh, Bianchi did have a basically an 850 OPS on the road, about 589 at home. But the bigger issue for me, and I think we talked about him uh, when you were working on that list, uh, he doesn't control the strike zone and he doesn't play shortstop. And if you're comparing him to a guy like Kyle Martin, who is older and is behind him on the player on the depth chart in that organization, that's a guy who can play shortstop at least solidly. Uh, does have just as much power. I think he has as much offensive upside and has a little bit better defensive profile because the Royals don't seem to recognize that as not I mean, our problem, really. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and with Martin, I mean, it's going to be a very big year for Martin. Martin's going to have to prove this year that last year, you know, what he did in limited time, what he did in Hawaii wasn't uh, a nice fluke by a guy who was, you know, basically a little old for the league. That yeah. being said, 
you know, you're you're talking he has legit power. Right, right. And that's something you're looking for. You absolutely, know? No, absolutely. I mean, the funny thing is the profile of those two guys isn't as different as you would think. Right. But the tie to me goes to Martin because Martin has done it like in Hawaii. You know, he's mm-hmm. done it a little bit more productively. Yep. And his tools, even though Bianchi is definitely a much higher profile guy, his tools may be a little bit better, actually. Yeah, and Martin's – I mean, the separator is the power. Martin – uh, slugged over 500 in the Midwest League and then tied for the lead in the uh, Hawaii Winter Baseball and home runs. And Flanagan is a guy a long ways away. Um, you know, really didn't come up a whole lot in uh, in doing the calls yeah. yet. I mean, he's, you know, we'll, we'll see him hopefully this year, you know, hopefully this year in the Midwest League and kind of get a little better read on him. I mean, I don't want to just kind of dismiss him yet, but when I was doing – you know, when you're doing that sorting through, okay, you know, so what are the guys, you know, in the Appy League, what are the guys, you know, in their AZL team and all, he wasn't the first guy who was coming up. Right. And there's not a whole lot of guys are going to make a top 30. But a good sleeper. I mean, a good sleeper to talk about. A lefty with a projectable body. But, uh, you know, top 30, even in an organization like that, hard to rank a guy who doesn't have really loud stuff. Right, especially because um, they got a couple guys, kind of, you know, a Carlos Fortuna, you know, guys like that who do have kind of loud stuff. Right, and that's the thing that – I think there's there's some interesting things going on with the with the Royals system, and there better be when you spend a record eleven million dollars in the oh, draft. And they're going to have another high pick, you know. Again, I mean, by the time we're doing this, you know, next year, they very well could have Mustakas Hosmer and you know someone else. From, you yeah, know, exactly. Very high from and, this uh, year. and Aaron Crow, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, uh, the, the the Royals. We do have all of our early draft uh, content up at BaseballAmerica.com. The Royals pick twelfth. Actually, I doubt Aaron Crow falls to twelve, but. Um, very interesting offseason for the Royals. I'm not sure there are a lot of people who are great fans of the moves they made. They've had a lot of spare parts, it seems, at considerable cost. Willie Bloomquist and, and Mike really, Jacobs and those and kind of guys. And what we were talking about is, is like, for if they wanted to add those guys, would they have been better off waiting? Because the Willie Bloomquist of the world, if you hadn't signed them, are probably right now, you know, easily much easier to sign because correct those guys are looking for jobs. Correct the mundo, but uh, I think the bigger a guy who's not looking for a job. Very well signed up is Alex Rodriguez. He's locked up for a while still. He's locked up for a while, and but he is as in the news as any baseball player really has been in a long time, J.J., for all the wrong reasons. A Sports Illustrated report over the weekend that Alex Rodriguez uh, failed a steroids test in 2003 when Major League Baseball players were survey tested. It's supposed to remain anonymous. 104 players tested positive. He's the only name that's come Actually, forward. Actually, technically I think he's one of two because I think okay. Bond's name did also come out of that also. Okay. Okay. I think you're right. Bond's name came out last week and it was just because everyone, yeah. there was no news to that. Oh, Correct. Barry Bonds tested positive for steroids kind of basically. But Alex Rodriguez tests positive and today, uh, I guess it'll be on Sports Center tonight on Monday as we record this, uh, Rodriguez admits to Peter Gammons, yes, he did it, admits that he took it during his entire three-year tenure basically with the Texas Rangers. And JJ, uh, it is it is pretty. Sh- I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked. I guess I'm really not shocked, but it's a bad day for baseball when the best player in the game. I think he's the, been the best player in the game since Bonds left. If it's not him, it's it's Albert Pujols. But a guy's been in the discussion for best player in baseball for more than a decade uh, has this tied oh. to his name. It's pretty. It's a, not a good day for the game, and obviously a pretty uh, brutal game for a pretty brutal day for A. Rod and his carefully crafted image. Go a step further. I mean, with really what you're talking about here, beyond everything else, is here's the guy. As much as even Bonds, maybe more so. Alex Rodriguez could have gone down, and I say could have because there's no way that this is ever going to be right. removed from right. his legacy. 
he could have gone down as if you know maybe the greatest player of all time. I mean, absolutely, the guys that you would consider in that discussion, the Ruths are, and the Mays and the Mantles and the Aaron are all and those guys, guys who were hitters right. who played. You know, I mean, I know don't take anything away from Roof being also an outstanding pitcher, but right. the, so, all, all them are corner outfielders, right? Here's a guy, Here's a guy who's producing third. like that, who's a shortstop third baseman. He really is the best hitting infielder of all time. I mean, if you really think about it that way, I mean, I mean, who was it before him? Mike Schmidt as a power guy anyway um, uh, before this area? Uh, yeah, I mean, and a guy who uh, – yeah, I mean, it's A-Rod, I mean, no doubt. I mean, a guy who put up these kind of numbers playing shortstop. I mean, Cal Ripken, he's clearly better than Cal Ripken. So, But now you have – and it's amazing, uh, uh, this admission uh, – Putting it on. Well, there's so many angles you could go at this from. First, uh, A. Rod saying that uh, uh, that this is kind of responding to the pressure, basically, of his contract. It's another, in my mind, uh, a weapon you could use or a criticism. I think. I think a lot of people come out looking bad in this. A. Rod, first of all, yeah. The union, second of all, comes out looking worse and worse and worse in every steroid part of it. And Bob Casas, or as I like to call him, Bob Costas made this point on MLB Network that a lot of Scott Boris clients have tested positive here. And this is not looking great for Boris in my mind either. But I think I, I think, think maybe I the think biggest hit might just go to the union, JJ. I think the biggest hit is the union. I think Boris comes out of this not, you know, he can, I mean, I don't think we'll get a comment out of Scott Boris out of this, you know, but he can very much kind of say, you know, well, look, this is, you know, I don't, I'm not there right. every day as, you know, right. players train and all that. But, with the union now, I think Orza came out today. You know, right before I came in here, I think I saw a link that said that you know he was denying that he tipped off, you know, players. But I mean, that story, like his initial response on that, not good. You know, his no. initial response of "I don't want to talk about this." Well, that's not really something that you know. That's not the PR world. You know, if, if you got a PR person in your, uh, you know, in your ear, that's not what they're going to tell you to say. I don't want to talk about this, but. It just comes off now. I mean, really, for and I mean, the I hate to say it, but the big loser overall again is baseball. Yeah, no doubt. That's because the biggest problem. What happens with A Rod getting this? You know, we won't talk about A Rod too much here on this. You know, because y'all are getting you yeah, know, you're, you're getting A Rod. You know, talking right. everywhere. But who's? I mean, basically, what it seems like to me is is this is the one that now just says, okay, you just assume everyone was using. Yeah, pretty much. You know, the guys who come out looking better in this, I actually talked about this. I had the opportunity last night to interview a couple of uh, big, ex-big league pitchers who are helping the Southern University baseball program, Lee Smith and Dave Stewart. And, uh, you know, whenever I talk to Stu, and I've done this a couple times because uh, of his involvement with uh, with Coach Cador down at Southern, I always talk to him about Roger Clemens. But I asked both those guys last night, in the midst of all this, who who comes out looking better to them? You know, they both actually said, you know, Jim Rice comes out looking better, you know. Whether he had Hall of Fame numbers or not is, you know, they both think of him as a Hall of Fame player. But he did 389 clean, you know, 389 home runs clean. Dale Murphy comes out looking better. Andre Dawson comes out looking better. From the contemporaries of Alex Rodriguez, how about Ken Griffey Jr.? How much better does Ken Griffey Jr.'s career? He hit 600 legit home runs. But I really I, don't think he's under suspi- I hate suspicion. To say he's not under is suspicion, he? but A-Rod wasn't really under suspicion. I know Conseco had fingered him, but but he was really yeah, not under suspicion the difference, to the day. I mean, Jr.'s body, he had opportunity after opportunity to use. 
He talked to Barry Bonds. He's on ground level with Barry Bonds. That's supposedly the conversation where Barry Bonds told Junior, you know, screw this. I'm doing it. I'm using him like those guys. And Griffey did not. Griffey, uh, his body broke down repeatedly with all the injuries that he had. I think if he had used, I think he could use the Andy Pettit defense and say, well, I used to recover from injuries, and people would have almost forgiven him. I do think Junior comes out looking a lot better uh, in no, retrospect, I, I think- a guy who's not necessarily a, separ- a self-promoter, does not carefully craft his image like A-Rod, has endured a lot of criticism in his second part of his career in I, Cincinnati. I don't disagree with you, but the one thing I just have to say is, is at this point, I'm just not able to say, I'm not comfortable saying, I mean... How about Greg Maddox? That's another guy that came the, up that D- Dave Stewart brought up to me as a guy who... Greg Maddox dominated in an offensive era... And if you ever saw Greg Maddox without his clothes on, you know he didn't use. Right. The, the, the guys I was jokingly saying is Maddox, Jamie Moyer, because if you use steroids, you'd hope you get your fastball That's over right. 80. That's right. And David Wells. So there's only three guys I can think of that I would say confidently. I think David Wells probably used some banned substances, but just not ban- steroids. But, but the thing about David <laughs> Wells is, is that if you aren't taking good you know enough that? care to not get gout, you're not <laughs> – Taking performance-enhancing drugs because you're really not worried about your performance. Do steroids get rid of gout, or do they produce gout? I, I, I don't thought know. about that. Or HGH? He might have had to, that. Might have been the human growth he had. It wasn't really gout. It was some other part of his body you know, growing. But, but that's. I mean, but it is. It's <laughs> just. It is a sad. I mean, it's a sad day. I am glad to see that A. Rod came out right away, and did not choose the Roger Clemens route of you know basically. He's just had a bad off a, season though. A, a two-year story or whatever. The thing that he did today, by admitting it at least, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be tied to him. But at least when he goes to spring training, the questions will be, how is he handling right. this now instead of being every day? So did you use? No, I agree. I think there's some other uh, guys who come out. and uh, Just from the Baseball America's perspective, how about the uh, University of Miami baseball program? I believe this past weekend they just dedicated Alex Rodriguez Stadium at Mark Light Field. Their, their improvements to Mark Light Field, uh, a lot of them paid for by A-Rod. Now, that's not looking so hot for the University of Miami. I mean, I'm just saying there's a lot of there, – there are repercussions for this everywhere. You have his high school coach, Rich Hoffman, on ESPN uh, defending A-Rod. You know, I, I, I was talking about this at lunch today with some of the coaches at North Carolina State. Um, we had lunch, and it's like, uh, you know, you never saw that for Roger Clemens. You never saw – and the thing is that they didn't want to. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have. I think if they'd asked Wayne Graham, who coached Roger either one year or two years at San Jack, uh, San Jacinto Junior College, or if they'd asked uh, Wayne to talk about Andy Pettit, I think Wayne would have spoken up for both those guys the same way Rich Hoffman did. I do think there's – it tells you A-Rod's PR acumen that he helped – I think he probably had some people get Rich Hoffman out front for him. I think there's going to be an A-Rod counteroffensive, but how effective can it really be? The, it might help A-Rod's image a little bit. Baseball's image is going to take the bigger the bigger hit, I think. The winner that I'll say out of this weekend, besides give SI, you know, SI Sports Illustrated, <laughs> you know, Selena Roberts, and right. I've forgotten the name of their report. I feel bad to say right. that. But, but MLB Network. But MLB Network, this was the first big test for MLB Network, which I, I, I think, you know, as a baseball fan, you know, speaking to, on the podcast to other baseball fans, yep. The idea of a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week network about it's baseball just, is we're, we're all thumbs up we're for just, that. We're just sorry it wasn't. We didn't have the money to implement that idea first. <laughs> you know, but that being said, this was a big test for them because there was two ways they could have gone. They could have gone the approach of, hey, you know, 
they could have even just basically not even blown it off, but run the crawl around the bottom that says right. Arod admits steroids. And we're now continue with our regularly, you know, schedule. Right. Here's another program. 20, 20 strikeout game from days of yore and yesteryear. Right. They could have done that. Instead, they went wall to wall coverage. And really, I thought had the you know had outstanding coverage on Saturday. And it certainly helped to have a guy like Bob Costas around to be the face kind of of that coverage. They've obviously employed guys like Tom Verducci. It's not just former players; they have really good reporters right. who are helping. They them. had many different perspectives, but the, to see them cover it extensively, the thing it showed was, and we'll have to keep seeing that this continues. But they weren't the house organ on Saturday. They weren't looking at this from the prism of, well, this is bad for baseball, so let's right. underplay it. They looked at it from the prism journalistically of, this is the big story. This is more important than us showing another Randy Johnson 20 strikeout game. Which and is they, encouraging in this day and age that someone did that, actually. Right. They covered it, you know, because, and that's smart, because in the long run, we're not, com- you know, it's the average viewer is not watching and going, hey, is this doing good for baseball? What they're looking right. at is, is this better than ESPN, which is my other choice to watch on this. Yeah, pretty much, and uh, I think the consensus is that it was. So, it was a it was a difficult weekend for baseball. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Alex Rodriguez is too big, too high profile of a guy for this to not be the dominant story, and it's probably going to be the dominant story. Uh, I'm sure this will be a bigger deal than the World Baseball Classic in a couple of weeks. And uh, for me, I was very glad uh, going over to NC State today and being in their coaches' offices and seeing their field on a 65 degree day like we're having in North Carolina. I know I was wishing there was college baseball to go out there and oh, see. And the great news is, is that there will be this actual games bad. soon. This story's bad, but you know what? Pitchers and catchers are going to report real soon. Yep. And there will be college baseball. There will be World Baseball Classic. And we've got enough high-profile guys out there. There's interesting stories on, you know, more related to on the field that are going to be going on. Like Manny Ramirez hadn't signed. That's right. That's fascinating. Adam Dunn has not signed. Bobby Abreu has not signed. I mean, there are players Orlando out Hudson there. Orlando Hudson hasn't signed. There are players out there who, if your team signs them, you would say, hey, this helps us win this year. Yep. Not yep. Usually at this point, it's like, hey, we signed a guy who could, you know, if things break right, be a fifth starter. It's been a pretty unusual offseason in baseball. There's absolutely no doubt uh, from A-Rod and Madonna to A-Rod and the steroids to everything in between to uh, the free agents, the, the Manny saga. Uh, it's been an un- unusual offseason. We obviously fill a lot of it with prospect talk. We're looking forward to getting act, uh, getting down to talking about actual games that matter on the college side, games that matter in the World Baseball Classic, and then, of course, the minor league season and, and the major league season coming up. But uh, I do think that there's no doubt that A-Rod's, A-Rod's story being the end of the offseason, uh, the pitchers and catchers can't report soon enough. So I would agree. So uh, send those emails in, podcast at baseballamerica.com. We thank you for the questions all that we already got and we read today. And for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for the longish podcast. We'll see you next week here at BaseballAmerica.com. Until then, so long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.